There it is. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Turn there myself here. I, this, we've been working through worship in Sunday school. And this past week in Sunday school, we've talked about being a total life steward. And as we work through that, we read this verse, and it has not left me since. But in Romans chapter 12 here, get there. In verse 1, he says, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I'll read, go on, to, go on to read, it said, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may be able to prove that which is, prove that what is that good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. I want to talk about this evening, living sacrifices and reasonable service. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be in your house, to preach your word, to breathe this air that I'm even breathing today, Lord. I pray that you'll help us this evening, that we'll, you'll help us to focus, Lord, not only on the text here, but that we leave here realizing that this life that we live for you, it's not overboard. It's not to be praised by the world. This is just reasonable service for all that you've done. We give thanks to you, Lord, and for all that you've done. And be with the teachers who are teaching next door. Be with all the uh, visitors we have this evening. Lord, save a soul today, we beg you. In Jesus' name, amen. I read a story this morning of a young Australian nobleman who once strolled into a European village. It was said that as he was waiting in the building, he just began to linger in the aisle waiting for a friend to arrive and to meet him in the church. As he was in the building, his eyes was drawn to this painting of a crucified Christ on the wall. He would go on to say later on in his life that as he stood there that day staring at this painting on the wall that he began to realize that the person who had painted this painting didn't just whip a painting together that they had taken all the time that needed to go into depth about this painting. As he looked at this painting, he noticed that the very bottom of the painting, there was this sentence that said, All this I did for thee, what hast thou done for me? He continued to read that sentence as he looked on the painting of this crucified Christ and seen the nail-pierced hands. All this I did for thee. What hast thou done for me? Has he seen the, the, crown, the, 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 the crown that they placed upon his head? And has he looked on this image of this crucified Christ and he's seen blood pouring down his face, 
The words kept going through his mind. All, uh, all this I've done for thee. What hast thou done for me? He began to get overwhelmed as he looked upon the beatings that this painter had painted and it began to hunt him even more. All this I did for thee. What hast thou done for me? They said when his friend arrived, it was just before sunset, and they found St. Nicholas laying on the floor in the aisleway, in the sanctuary, weeping and weeping aloud, repeating those words. All this he did for me. What have I done for thee? He left that day with a new view in his heart about Jesus Christ. He left that day with a new view in his mind about this crucified Christ. He would go on to, from that day forward, start a mission board that would send missionaries all around the world with this thought in mind. This is what Jesus did for me. What have I done for him? Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 echoes the same word, so to say. All that Christ has done for us, and what have we done for Christ? All that he's given for us, and what have we given for him? We seen on Sunday morning when we looked about him being the only way to heaven. Without him, there would have been no way to heaven. Matter of fact, when we looked in the evening on Sunday evening, we talked about how victorious we could be and the joy that we have to stand upon the word of God, to stand upon the gospel that gives us hope that we're victorious in Christ. This evening we see what Paul considers to be the reasonable conclusion about how we should live our Christian lives if the gospel has truly impacted our lives. These are what Paul says, reasonable services. I love Paul because when he's not talking about Preaching the gospel in his writings, he's talking about what the gospel does to a believer and what the gospel did to him. I know they say Wednesday nights is the group that arrives to show how popular our Lord is. In a sense, this may be preaching to the choir, and, and I understand this. And I know that we arrive here tired, and I understand that. But if it is the gospel that changed us, if it is the gospel that really put us in service for the Lord, so to say, if it's the gospel that put us in the ministry, then we should easily to be saved that, from moving from that moment forward, meaning the moment in which we were saved, we have this new life that we're living for God. And this new life that we're living, and you know, we may say, well, we've been living this new life 
faithfully. We've been serving faithfully. We may even look at ourselves in our, in our own spiritual lives and say, you know what? We've been given our all, and we don't have no problems telling people, I've been given our all. But sometimes we, we wear our service as a badge of honor. We, we wear our service as if we're some kind of overachiever. I don't miss Sunday school. I don't miss the morning. I don't miss the evening. I'm faithful to ties. Look at me. I'm at the front of the line. This is kind of how we wear our Christian life. We seem to pat ourselves on the back to kind of inflate ourselves just about how faithful we've been to the Lord. Paul says this is just simply reasonable service. It's reasonable. When we find something in our lives. Matter of fact, not too long ago, the bank called me and said, listen, we will refinance your home for a lower interest rate for this price. You know, I said, well, after I factored, I said, seems reasonable. Means that it, it, that seems like it's worth it to me. There's just huge savings. That's how we are in life when something doesn't seem too bad. We say, well, this is definitely reasonable. It's not out of line. Paul says, for us to live our lives holy and acceptable before God, to live a life in service to God is reasonable service. He's not asking for something that's out of line. He's not asking for something that's unreasonable. It's almost to say this is the least we could do for what Christ has done for us. It's reasonable. We say when something doesn't seem that bad, it's well, you know, this is not that bad of a not that bad of a deal. When we could not save ourselves, when we could not do anything at all, when he found us, when he found me. I didn't even know I needed him until he found me. And he moved in my life. And he saved me from my sins. And when you really look at what Christ did on your behalf like Sir Nicholas did, and you look how he suffered and bled and died for you, and listen, he didn't ask us to get on the altar and die. That's how people view it. People look at living a life of 100% service to God as death. And it's death from the person whom Christ died to save you from. This doesn't ask us to die. What does Paul say here? What does Paul write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He wants us to live on his behalf. Live in this new freedom that we have. Live in this new life that we have in him. He's asking us to live on his behalf. Let me ask you this evening. Did being saved today, for all of us who are saved, to help put this in perspective, did being saved today, make you do something for Christ this morning? Did being saved today 
make us tell someone about our Lord and Savior today? Did being saved today make you wake up today thinking about your Lord and Savior? Did it make you wake up and say, I want to do something for my Lord today? Don't say, well, pastor, you're pushing it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you really think every day has to be like this. Paul says it's a reasonable service. It's reasonable to think the condition that God found you in and delivered you from would bring you to a place that you would want to give your whole life to him. Paul said, living every day being dedicated to your God, living every day praying to your God, living every day loving your God, living every day singing to your God, living every day reading God's word is nothing special. We treat it like it's some kind of a special believer. That's what special Christians do. That's what the, that's what the people who are sold out do. I, I struggle with thinking about wanting to read my Bible. I mean, pray every day. Paul says that's just reasonable service. This is the things we do because we understand who Christ is. Notice what he says here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. I beseech you, blood-washed sinner. I beseech you, one who Christ parted. I beseech you, those who've been redeemed. I beseech you, I beseech you, those who've been given a second chance. Paul was not upset in this verse that the world wasn't living right. I mean, it kind of baffles our mind that Paul would even have to beseech. This means to this means to beg, this means to draw an emphasis upon that Paul is urging and begging the believer to submit himself as a living sacrifice unto God. Is that not confusing to us that we would have to wonder or that we would even have to process this thought that Paul would beg the believer to live for him? Paul was not talking to the unbeliever, but he was talking to the believer. He's begging the believer that now is the time. This is the urgency here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. The urgent is the beseeching is that now is the time to start living for God. Stop being cold. Stop being lukewarm. Stop being idle. I beseech you, I urge you, now start living. This is not a gospel message to call the believer or the wicked sinner to repent. This is calling the believer to start living like he should. Reasonable service. Reasonable. Start living your life for God. Live your life in service to God. You see that it's, it's more than believing you see that it's more than our service to God is more than just believing meaning listen salvation we know is by faith alone through grace alone right we understand that but in this life that we live for Christ in this service that we've been called into him this sacrificial life it's more than just believing 
This is the emphasis. You go knock on the doors in this community. You'll have no problems finding people who say they believe in Christ. Paul's connection point here is that the trouble isn't finding people who say they believe that Christ did this. The problem is finding people behaving like they believe this. There's the struggle. Notice Paul doesn't come here and slander them and say, you're an unbeliever. He doesn't do that. He doesn't come in and say that you're, you're living this way and you're lost. He doesn't say that. He doesn't even say you lost your salvation. No. He's saying that you profess that you believe in Christ, but he's calling for the believer to behave in a way that they enter into a deeper commitment with God. He's calling us all to this deeper commitment. The struggle for all of us is that we believe that Christ died, but it seems that depending on who we're around, we don't often behave that we believe that way. If he died, that so to say that I might live, then why can't we as believers live like he died for you? You specifically, that you were on his mind. On Calvary's hill, my name flashed through. The blood shed on Calvary's hill was specifically shed for me. The whipping for me, the scourging for me, the spear that went through his side for me, the crown upon his the crown of thorns upon his head for me, the cross me. It was all for me. It's for you too. We say we believe that, but the struggle is Paul saying that we don't behave in such a manner. Now Paul, Paul kind of draws our mind here for a second to stop acting pious. <laughs> we do this, right? We act pious that we're without sin or we present ourselves that we are living this amazing Christian life. Paul is urging them to put this aside for a minute and saying, stop behaving this way. The urging is, I beseech you to live for him. I beseech you to change how you're behaving. And we have to admit that it's weird that Paul would even beg a believer to live godly, but when he does, he says here, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I beg you, brethren. He draws this line in the sand. He says, by the mercies of God. This is interesting. This is to say, kind of put it in your mind. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. I beg you, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. When I read this, my mind kind of envisions it this way. That here is this scale, and when I weigh who I am and what I want to do on this side, Paul puts on the counterbalance to weigh this out correctly in our mind, the mercies of God in your life. I beseech you by the mercies of God. Mercy. 
This is nothing foreign to us. We understand what God's mercy is. I beg you by the mercies of God. Ephesians chapter 2 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He begs us with something that God has richly poured upon us. Mercy. That which we all still need a lot of. Mercy means compassion. It means pity. It means tenderness from God. It, it means that we deserve the punishment. When judgment was given, when the verdict was passed down, this is what you deserve. God said, not today. Mercy. By the mercies of God that we present ourselves as a living sacrifice. I'm not urging you to live by God, to live for God, because of a one-time life experience. This is more than Paul just said, then don't, Paul didn't bring you back to this moment in your mind that remember the mercy that you experienced upon salvation. No, he doesn't. He encapsulates all the mercy that you've ever experienced in your life by the mercies of God. To be honest with ourselves, the mercies of God is something we take advantage of every day. Lamentations 3 and verse 22 and 23, it says, this is by the mercies of the Lord that we are not consumed because his compassion fail not. But then you know what it goes on to say in the next verse? They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You see what he said? It is that the mercies we need are new every morning. Do you see the implication here? That we need God's mercy every day. Paul is saying you need God's mercy every day. And not only do you need God's mercy every day, but the mercy you need every day, you're receiving every day. Paul is saying that we should be able to look at the mercy that we received, that we absolutely did not deserve, and it should encourage us to live right. I am here today preaching because of God's grace. We are arrived here in the house of God desiring to hear the word of God because of God's grace. We sang unto the Lord and had a desire to sing unto the Lord because of God's grace. We prayed before I even got up here to preach. And we had a desire to pray because of God's grace. But do not ever forget, had you even got a little bit of what you deserved, had I gotten just a little bit of what I deserved, I would not be here today. Had you gotten a, just a little bit of what you deserved, you would not be here today. I would not be able to preach Think about it through our life. How often we have offended a thrice holy God. 
all throughout our entire life. When we leave out of here, I'm going to see my kids and I'm going to see my kids and I'll get to see them here in the house of God. And you get to see your kids and your grandkids because of the grace of God. But it is the mercy of God that allows you to live long enough to even see them. Had God's mercy not been poured out upon all of us, according to Romans 5 to verse 12, we would all be dead. We were born in sin. David said, in iniquity did my mother conceive me. Paul said, it's the mercies of God. The fact that we can't even see them all, uh, the, I mean, the fact that we can't even see all the times that God has been merciful upon us lets us know how far we have come in forgetting how sinful we really are. Grace would have never had time to catch up with me December 28, 2008, had God not been merciful on December 27th. And so it is the story for all of our lives. We were all wretched sinners. We were all wretched sinners. Too many believers forget what they were before God saved them. It's even more than that, I guess. I don't have any desire in my own life to go down memory lane, but we should never forget how much, God, how much mercy God showed upon us when we went to places that we shouldn't have went to. How much mercy God showed upon us when we clicked on websites we shouldn't have been clicking on. How much mercy God showed us, showed upon us when we were drinking things we shouldn't have been drinking. How much mercy God showed upon us when we were saying things we shouldn't have been saying. When we were smoking things we shouldn't have been smoking. How much God's mercy has been upon us. Listen, God is holy, holy, holy. And whether your faith was in him or not, he is still the righteous judge of the world. And if he poured out his righteous judgment upon your lost state, you still deserved it. Yet, mercy came along and was waiting for you on the other side of every bad decision you've ever made. Bringing you to this moment this compassionate hand upon you until the day that grace would arrive on the scene and work in your life. Paul says, weigh it all out. How merciful God has been for you. This mercy is enough to make ourselves, to make us present ourselves as a living sacrifice. A sacrifice is Something that we give up. Sacrifices are something that we relinquish. It is an offering in which we give up. That, hey, by the way, is not returnable. It is something that is offered up in the Old Testament. When someone was given, when, when someone would do a sin offering, when someone would come before the priest and give their offering for the priest to offer it up, they would relinquish it. They would let it go. They would hand it over to the priest. 
Never do you read in the Old Testament when somebody came before the priest to give their sacrifice. Never do you read in the Old Testament that someone ran up to the altar and snapped their sacrifice back. It died there. That was its place. When it was put upon the altar, it never came back off. And so they say that is the problem with all of us, right? Living sacrifices, Paul says. This is what we're supposed to be, living sacrifice. But the struggle with living sacrifices is that they climb back down off the altar. It doesn't take much time before our eyes are wooed away, before Satan does his work and draws us away from service to him. Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your all-being, to present your entire body, to present all that you do as the living sacrifice to God. His encouragement is that you give it and that you never dare take it back. That you give it and that you stay upon the altar and that you stay committed and that when you see oftentimes though the struggle is with believers is that all new believers in a short amount of time they come on the scene and they're blazing it just seems they're on fire and you know what it does it kind of gets our wood burning again they come in and before long we see it with our own eyes Satan goes to work I'm going to give my life to Christ. All I can do is serve him. That's all I want to ever do. How could I have ever done anything with my entire life? How could I ever do anything else with my entire life? And before long, Satan works. The allurements seek in. The world calls them back. And before long, we see them calling back off the altar. We say, no, hold the line. Paul is beseeching and begging believers to hold this line. Get on the altar. Give your entire life as a living sacrifice to God. Give it all. Paul is begging with all the passion that is in him. Stay on the altar. I, I just, <laughs> you read the New Testament and you really get this. This idea of Paul that Paul, if this was some kind of theological proper word, Paul was no pansy. He told, this tells us in the Bible that he said, I withstood Peter to his face when he was doing wrong. He didn't waver. He stood strong for truth. He confronted people with the word of God. He was a man who knew the word of God. And yet we find Paul here in Romans 12, verse 1, not slapping the people who have gone astray, but begging them to come back. I beseech you with all the, I mean, this word beseech, when you read it, if you look up the definition, especially if you get a strong concordance and pull it up in the Greek, you really see that this is a strong yearning, passion, Begging you, please, 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 please live your life for God. Live it all. He is begging them to come back. Remember this in the Old Testament. The sacrifice in the Old Testament was one without blemish, was it not? 
It, it, it was the, the cream of the crop, so to say. So Paul goes on to say here, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What's that next word? Holy. Holy. Holy, we know, means to be set apart. It means to be set aside. It means to be used for a different purpose. You know, we definitely, in our own lives, we know this. We need the ability to serve God, do we not? We need the spirit strengthening. We need the word of God to even have the ability to serve the Lord. We need the Lord's help to be a living sacrifice. We need the Lord's help to serve. We need the Lord's help to faithfully serve. We need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to tell us and to refresh us and to remind us of our Lord and to remind us of the word of God so that we stay upon the altar so that we know that the things of this world have no payoff in the end. But listen, listen to what he's saying here. By the mercies of God, he wants us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. But he says, holy. Have you ever really thought about this, that ability without character is useless to God? You could have all the ability in the world. Come to church, sing a wonderful song. Bless the choir with your voice. I'm the pastor's favorite um, choir singer, you know. I come here and I do this and I do that. And, you know, the, they just really lift me up and I'm just this and I'm just that. But listen, you can be lifted up inside of the church. You can be praised inside of the church. <laughs> and though you have the ability to be a blessing, your character has fallen short. Character and ability must go hand in hand. Your sacrificial life that you have presented that you're living stinks with the aroma of sin. Well, that's your opinion, people say. You know what? <laughs> I come to the church and I want to bless the church with my singing and I want to bless them. But the night before they was out living in sin. I want to do this and I want to live a sacrificial life. You are not going to live a good sacrificial life on Sunday if you wasn't living a sacrificial life on Saturday. It's just the truth. We're not going to be able to present ourselves holy before the Lord if we're not living holy throughout the week. I've used this before as an example, but it doesn't work. You know, when we had white carpet at our house, which was foolish to do with kids, don't do it. But my kids were outside playing in the mud and they run in the house and they track mud into the house. And that, if that wasn't bad enough, the next thing they came up with is they wanted to touch me. No, take yourself back to the porch, take your muddy clothes off, go get a shower and then come see me. But yet in the same manner, we arrive in the house of God on Sunday, tracking the sins from the last five days of the week, coming in here saying, Lord, I've arrived to be a blessing. I'm here to sing unto you. I'm here to give you money in the Lord's like, No. The sins of the world have no business 
in the house of God. So Paul says, I, this urging of the Holy Spirit is to live, live this sacrificial life, but live it set apart from the world. Live it holy. This is not about what the pastor thinks. This is not about what the deacon thinks. This is about not what the Sunday school leader thinks. <laughs> this is not about what anybody here thinks here. Paul says, let me close Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 out in the best way it can be closed out. Your sacrificial life that you're supposed to live set apart. Not only is it the reasonable service. And by the way, God does it great on the curve. How do we know that? Because he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. He is the one who grades the test. <laughs> he is the one who grades the life. Your pastor may tell you how great you are for what he does know, but God knows it all. Paul is begging the believer to live this holy life, this life of a living sacrifice, acceptable unto God. Not unto me, not unto the treasure, not unto anybody else, unto God. And you know what he says? You say, well, you just changed it. You know, that teacher, he's, he's hard to pass a test with. He, he, he's hard to, uh, you know, you can't get nothing by him. Paul says, listen, living this holy, acceptable life that's pleasing unto God, not only can you do it, he says, he says, it's just reasonable, reasonable service. Doesn't make you a stellar Christian. Doesn't make you at the top of the pole. It means in order to, have a life of reasonable service unto God. We live a sacrificial life set apart from the world. That's reasonable. The challenge is to all of us, the same as Paul is challenging all the believers that he wrote to in Rome, the same he's challenging us to all these years later, is to find ourselves in a place where we're set apart from the world, where we have one desire, and that is to burn out for God. Burn out. It means that everything we do, that we try to seize this as an opportunity for Him. I love it when people come here and their co-workers come. You know what it means? It means people are preaching at work. I love it when people come and they bring their family with them. You know why? Because it means they're preaching to their family. I love it when people in the community come because it means that people are preaching to their neighbors. A living sacrifice is a life that is lived in a state of continuous worship unto God, but it's a life that's lived that the, the flame, the flicker and all belongs to him. And when it's removed and when it's gone, it's okay. Because the next words we're going to hear is, well done, my good and faithful servant. Oh, what a great day that's going to be. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. Lord, 
how merciful you've been upon us. May we not forget that your mercy is new every morning. And may we never forget that we need your new mercies every morning. How great is your faithfulness to us, Lord, that even in this safe state, even knowing what you've done for us, Lord, how we fail at times, and yet you're still merciful upon us. Oh, great is your faithfulness, my Lord. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.